Hello everybody and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Job. If you have a Bible handy, I would love it if you opened up to the book of James chapter 1. As we have been going through this Job series, we've recognized that St. James gives the utmost praise for Job. Every time Job speaks, we read first from James's words on him. But all of Job's friends, his three friends, speak regarding law and gospel and crunchy, hard, true theology. So Job's friends, every time we've read from them, we start off by reading Psalm 1, one of the clearest psalms to speak of God's law and the dynamic that that holds for us. But Elihu, the young man, full of emotion, full of passion, he speaks from a place of anger. And he admits as much when he first speaks to Job that he cannot hold it in. It is welling up inside of him as he decides to give his lecture to Job. So let us hear the word of our Lord from the book of James chapter 1, beginning in the 19th verse. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls." This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Elihu's anger is not going to produce righteousness in either Elihu or in Job. So as we turn our Bibles now to Job chapter 34, a bit of context here that I can just read from Job chapter 32. Elihu says, quite plainly, I said, let days speak and many years teach wisdom, but it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty, that makes him understand. I waited for your words. I listened for your wise saying while you searched out what to say. I gave you my attention, and behold, there was none among you who refuted Job. And he continues on talking about his own answer, so to speak. <laughs> my words declare the uprightness of my heart, he says in chapter 3. And what my lips know, they speak sincerely. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Job, I am going to teach you what this all means. I am now going to speak. And as we went over last week, thus far he has introduced absolutely nothing new in the conversation. A key verse to remember is when he says in chapter 32, verse 14, he has not directed his words against me, and I will not answer him, Job, with your speeches. He promises at the get-go that he will not be speaking to Job in the same way that Job's friends have. Let's examine whether or not that's true. Let us hear the word of our Lord from Job chapter 34. Then Elihu answered and said, 
Hear my words, you wise men, and give ear to me, you who know. For the ear tests words, and the palate tastes food. Let us choose what is right. Let us know among ourselves what is good. For Job has said, I am in the right, and God has taken away my right. In spite of my right, I am counted a liar. My wound is incurable, and though I am without transgression. What man is like Job, who drinks up scoffing like water, who travels in company with evildoers and walks with wicked men? For he has said it profits a man nothing that he should take delight in God. Therefore hear me, you men of understanding, far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should do wrong. For according to the work of a man he will repay him, and according to his ways he will make it befall him. Of a truth God will not do wickedly, and the Almighty will not pervert justice, who gave him charge over the earth, and who laid on him the whole world. If he should set his heart to it, and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together, and man would return to dust. If you have understanding... Hear this, listen to what I say. Shall one who hates justice govern? Will you condemn him who is righteous and mighty, who says to a king, worthless one, and to nobles, wicked man, who shows no partiality to princes, nor regards the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands? In a moment they die. At midnight the people are shaken and pass away, and the mighty are taken away by no human hand. For his eyes are on the ways of a man, and he sees all his steps. There is no gloom or deep darkness where evildoers may hide themselves. For God has no need to consider a man further, that he should go before God in judgment. He shatters the mighty without investigation and sets others in their place. Thus, knowing their works, he overturns them in the night, and they are crushed. He strikes them for their wickedness in a place for all to see, because they turned aside from following him and had no regard for any of his ways, so that they caused the cry of the poor to come to him. And he heard the cry of the afflicted, When he is quiet, who can condemn? When he hides his face, who can behold him? Whether it be a nation or a man, that a godless man should not reign, that he should not ensnare the people. For has anyone said to God, I have borne punishment, I will not offend any more, teach me what I do not see, if I have done iniquity I will do it no more? Will he then make repayment to suit you, because you reject it? For you must choose, and not I. Therefore declare what you know. Men of understanding will say to me, and the wise man who hears me will say, Job speaks without knowledge, his words are without insight. Would that Job were tried to the end, because he answers like wicked men. For he adds rebellion to his sin, he claps his hands among us, and multiplies his words against God. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now before we move on to the next chapter, let's examine what Elihu says to Job here. In fact, to all three of his friends as well, because he starts chapter 34 by saying, Hear my words, you wise men. Give ear to me, you who know. The ear tests words as the palate tastes food. Elihu is somewhat arrogantly inviting Job and his three friends to evaluate his words. Since Job remains silent, and Job's friends remain silent, 
the task comes upon us as readers of God's word to evaluate what Elihu is saying, whether it is true, as well as whether it is appropriate. Verse 4, let us choose what is right. Let us know among ourselves what is good. He runs right out of the gate with a statement that makes man the measurer of all things. Micah 6.8 says, God has shown you, O man, what is good, to love justice and mercy and to walk humbly with your God. For Elihu, verse 4, he says, let us choose what is right. Let us know among ourselves what is good. He has contradicted his previous statement in which he says that wisdom and understanding come from God. Something that God gives us. In Job 32, he says, it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty, that makes him understand. Suddenly, Elihu has changed his tune. He says, all right, you can evaluate me and we can say whether or not I'm speaking the truth. Instead of speaking according to the revelation given to him, as Job's three friends do, instead of speaking according to the revelation given to him, as Job does, Job the prophet, I might add, as James calls him, he says, let's us do it. Why don't we take care of this? And immediately in verse 5, we can continue evaluating his words. For Job has said, I am in the right. God has taken away my right. In spite of my right, I am counted a liar. My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. First off, as we covered in the last chapter, Job has admitted in the past he is a sinner. Yet he is counted as without transgression by God Almighty. What is in the very first verse of this entire book? There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Job is in the right here to say that about himself. Not that he is without any transgressions in his past, but God himself, the true author of Holy Scripture, inspiring this entire text, has said, Yeah, I count Job as blameless. Elihu completely and flatly denies this, in the same exact way that Job's friends have. Verse 7, What man is like Job who drinks up scoffing like water, who travels in company with evildoers and walks with wicked men? He doesn't accuse Job of just letting people fall through the cracks, of ignoring or neglecting the poor as Job's friends have. He goes all the way into saying, Job, you are hanging out with evil and corrupt people. They are your friends because you are wicked. You drink up scoffing like water. You mock at God. Verse 9, for he has said it profits a man nothing that he should take delight in God. Is that what Job has said? Did Job truly say that it's not worth it to believe in God? Or is it actually the case that Job has been asking questions and telling God, I'm not leaving you. I need an answer. 
A cross-reference, Job 21, verse 7, Job asks, Why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? All of 21, during the discourse on justice, Job is asking questions of God. Not coming to the conclusion that he should just dismiss serving God outright. Yet here, Elihu accuses him of not only blasphemy, but being a wicked man that travels with the wicked, mocks and blasphemes God. So is he really saying anything different from Job's friends? Yes, only in a matter of degree. He said he was not going to speak like Job's friends, but here he is now accusing Job of wickedness and saying, well, Job, you deserve this as it has happened to you. And... Of course, he accuses him of worse friends than his friends have accused him of. Worse sins. So he says, Hear me, you men of understanding, verse 10. Far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should do wrong. According to the work of a man, he will repay him, and according to his ways, he will make it befall him. Has anyone denied that during these discourses? Has anyone denied that God is just? Even as Job asks the questions regarding God's justice, as sanctification occurs in Job's very heart, Job starts speaking about how God truly is just. When he says in chapter 24, there are those who rebel against the light, who are not acquainted with its ways and do not stay in its path. The murderer rises before its light that he may kill the poor and needy, and in light he is like a thief. The eyes of the adulterer also wait for the twilight, saying, No eye will see me, and he veils his face. In the dark they dig through houses, by day they shut themselves up. They do not know the light, for deep darkness is morning to all of them, for they are friends with the terrors of deep darkness." You say, swift are they on the face of the waters, their portion is cursed in the land, no treader returns towards their vineyard. Drought and heat snatch away the snow waters, so does Sheol, those who have sinned, the womb forgets them, the worm finds them sweet, they are no longer remembered, so wickedness is broken like a tree. Job, as he keeps speaking further and further, confirms God's justice. He just asks, why am I not seeing it? But Elihu under the mistaken impression that Job isn't saying that, has decided upon himself to say what Job, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar have all been saying as they argue. It is almost as though he was not listening to a single word they were speaking. Perhaps it is because he has not attained to the wisdom that they have to understand the nuance of their disagreement. But he says, God gives justice, and this likely means here, dear Job, that you are being punished. Oh yes, he decides that Job needs to understand that this is just what happens to somebody who is an evildoer. Has anyone said to God, verse 31, we skip ahead, I have borne punishment, I will not offend any more. Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do it no more. Will he then make repayment to suit you because you reject it? For you must choose and not I. 
Therefore, declare what you know. The implication here is Elihu says, How come nobody is saying, I sinned and I'm sorry? And if you're not going to say that to God, well, why are you complaining then? Why don't you just accept it? Will God truly make repayment to you, given that you're rejecting what he's doing to you, dear Job? Again, I ask you, is this any different from Job's friends who have said, Job, listen, God is warning you here. There's something you did, and you need to make confession. You need to receive absolution. Please, hear us, Job. All three of his friends have been saying this exact same message, and Elihu just underlines it, puts it in bold, and then adds, well, incredible insult to it. He says in verses 35 through 37, after having apparently given a pause to see if Job would say anything, Job speaks without knowledge. His words are without insight. Would that Job were tried to the end because he answers like wicked, wicked men, for he adds rebellion to his sin. He claps his hands among us and multiplies his words against God. Picture this. Your best friend lost everything. Your best friend lost his wife, lost his children. The car crash, being hit by a drunk driver, has taken away his livelihood. He does a manual labor job and he has lost a hand. The other hand is mangled and gnarled. He's got glass shards in one eye and he can no longer see out of it. The welfare office, because of some bureaucratic error, will not help him with food stamps and your friend is now homeless. He shakes his fist and says, God, why did you do this? Why did you allow this to happen? If you were anything like Elihu, as your friend was suffering and in pain, you would look at him and go, Shut up, you stupid idiot! You ugly blasphemer! You wicked, disgusting human being! I, I am ashamed to be in the same room as you. How dare you, you ugly buffoon! I hope God punishes you worse because you deserve far worse for asking God why. Seriously, I can't believe my ears. That is the essence of what Elihu is doing in this chapter. It is not adding insult to injury. It is adding injury to injury because the very last thing that a man who was counted righteous before God in faith should be hearing is, You stupid, ugly, brainless, spineless little bastard, how dare you question God? How dare you look up to heaven when it is clear that your sins are so manifest that God has ruined your life and instead of just accepting it and repenting and being humble as you ought to have been, well, by all means, you should shut your mouth rather than question this. Irony of ironies, Job has said in his address to God, if I missed something, please let me know. Verse 32 of Job 34, Elihu says, Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do it no more. He says, Job, why aren't you saying this to God? And Job has said that. 
He has been shedding tears, saying, what did I miss? There must have been some sort of mistake. Did you not see the sacrifices? Did you not see all the things that were going on as I appealed to you in faith and in fear? And Elihu just ignored that. Ignored that to spit in this poor old man's face and accuse him of greater wickedness than even these stubborn three wise friends have. We continue in chapter 35, which is mercifully short. Elihu answered and said, Do you think this to be just? Do you say it is my right before God that you ask, What advantage have I? How am I better off than if I had sinned? I will answer you and your friends with you. Look at the heavens and see. And behold, the clouds, which are higher than you. If you have sinned, what do you accomplish against him? And if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give to him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness concerns a man like yourself, and your righteousness a son of man. Because of the multitude of oppressions, people cry out. They call for help because of the arm of the mighty. But none says, Where is God my Maker, who gives songs in the night, who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth, and makes us wiser than the birds of the heavens? There they cry out, but he does not answer, because of the pride of evil men. Surely God does not hear an empty cry, nor does the Almighty regard it. How much less when you say that you do not see him, that the case is before him and you are waiting for him. And now because his anger does not punish, and he does not take note of transgression, Job opens his mouth in empty talk. He multiplies words without knowledge. Elihu says, do you think this is right for you to be saying this kind of thing to God? Blasphemer? Heretic, you ugly, wicked, evil sinner, that you ask, how is this better off than if I had sinned? What was the point of all of this? When you ask, why to God? Do you think that's right? Well, listen, God's not going to answer you, okay? He's a little bit busy. He doesn't care about you, you see. But I'll answer you. I'll answer you with that. Look at the heavens and see, and the clouds which are higher than you. Do you realize how big the universe is? If you have sinned, what do you accomplish against him? And your transgressions are multiplied. What do you do to him? You think God cares whether you're sinful or righteous? Oh, he's a just God, certainly. You're going to get yours. <laughs> I'm glad that you got yours, Job. And you're going to get worse. But by all means, you can't hurt him. You can't offend him with words like this. He says in verse 8, Your wickedness concerns a man like yourself, and your righteousness a son of man. If you do evil, that's about you and other people. If you do the right thing, that's about, well, a son of man, other people. But you're not affecting God, pal. He's not going to notice this. Because of the multitude of oppressions, verse 9, people cry out. They call for help because of the arm of the mighty. After all, that is something that Job has brought up. He's brought up the poor, the oppressed, the lame, those in dire distress and need. But Elihu says, none says, where is God my maker? Those people don't even pray. Who gives songs in the night? Who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of the heavens? Don't you understand? God lets these people be poor because they're not even praying. These horrible, unrighteous Euro-poors or whatever we're going to call them. 
There they cry out, but he does not answer because of the pride of evil men, even if they do pray, Job. <laughs> They're not righteous like me. God's not going to listen to them the same way he's not going to listen to you. Because affliction means that God is seriously is just letting you get your just desserts here. So all those poor people that you brought up, they deserve it too. There they cry out, but he does not answer because of the pride of evil men. They think they deserve an answer from God. Surely God does not hear an empty cry. Hint, hint at verse 13. Nor does the Almighty regard it. Hint, hint, do we see the irony here? Because God is about to speak to Job directly. How much less when you say that you do not see him, that the case is before him and you are waiting for him. And now because his anger does not punish, and he does not take much note of transgression, Job opens his mouth in empty talk. He multiplies words without knowledge. God punished you, and he's giving you a break, Job, a moment's peace. And here you are, you think he's going to answer you? Are we noticing something about dear Elihu? Speaking out of, well, the emptiness of his talk. I could say much worse things about him in this moment, but I suppose I should refrain lest I call judgment upon myself. But he has added nothing new to the conversation except to do worse and say worse than all of his friends. Now earlier in chapter 34, when he spoke of God's justice, it sounds, according to some commentators, that Elihu is going to stand up for God. Elihu is going to speak on behalf of God where none of Job's friends have, and Job himself has not. He's going to make God's case. So say the commentators. I doubt that he will go in that direction. Because Job's friends this entire time have been speaking on behalf of God. They have been defending God's honor, saying this is how God operates, Job. This is God's strength demonstrated to you. This is how God does things, but he's a merciful God and you need to repent so he can restore you. This is who he is. The entire time, Job's friends have been defending God's honor to Job using theology that will be quoted elsewhere throughout the entirety of the Bible, Old and New Testaments. They are theologians. They have been speaking so much about God in ways that the biblical authors will say, you know, that's right, they've got a point. God will later condemn them, saying that they have not spoken what is right about him. I believe in that instance, they were wrong on their diagnosis of the events that happened in Job's life. But for every Bible scholar and commenter saying, oh, it is Elihu who stands up for God's honor here in him alone, did they read did they honestly cross-reference the verses and actually ask whether Elihu said anything new? To the contrary, as I read what he's saying, it is so beneath contempt because he does worse than all of Job's friends in his accusations, in his arrogant pronouncements of his wisdom and what he believes to be Job's foolishness, his ignorance, his stupidity, flat stupidity. And we do well 
to see him as a cautionary tale. We will finish up his speech and give a final grade, so to speak. Humbly, hopefully. I'd like to think that I was less, har less harsh than I could have been in discussing Elihu's speech here, but we will discuss all of that next week. Until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.